All right, who got rained on today? Wow, it was pouring at about 7 o'clock this morning. And uh, everybody came in looking like a drowned rat. It was pretty funny. Uh, I'm excited about the message today. I, I love us. You know, we've been talking about our, our culture of we. This idea that God is first, that we are together, us. There are people called them that we want to minister to or help. And then lastly, us, me, or, uh, you as the individual. And as I was preparing for this message, it, it has multiple tiers to it. I, I want to be able to explain near the end what's going on in our church. It's been about three and a half, four months since uh, the transition. Kind of lets you know what's happening in our thinking and our planning and give you some updates but I love Nehemiah. I love Old Testament stories. And uh, Nehemiah is such a powerful picture of what can happen when people have God's heart and come together to bring change. So if you would, would you stand to your feet this morning and let's read God's word. We're going to be reading from Nehemiah 1, 5 through 10. I did want to to read one other verse to set it up that's not on the screen. Nehemiah is wanting to know how Jerusalem is doing. And he gets this report. And this is what it says. This is the report. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. Let's go into... Verses 5 through 10. It says, Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man, the king. Let's pray. God, I pray that your grace would be not only on this message, but God, on our hearts. God, that we have the capacity to listen. Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear, God. I pray that you would compel us to pray, to plan, and to act. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Pastor Chris just uh, reminded me too, you know, for those who are, you've experienced a loss or God wants to resurrect an area in your life. She just, re remember Jesus came to bind up the brokenhearted. Right? He knew that there would be people who would be struggling, who would be brokenhearted. And that is part of the function that he, he displays and his compassion he displays toward us. So let me give you a little introduction about Nehemiah. In 
Uh, about 200 years before Israel would go into captivity, Isaiah made a, a prophecy toward them, warning them, if you don't obey, if you don't return your heart back to God, there's going to be another nation that comes in and takes you captive. And you know how it is. We all have been warned. We've all been uh, told to change behaviors or, 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 or to, to shift direction. And a lot of times we are so stubborn, we don't actually do it. And so eventually the Babylonians come and they take uh, the nation of Israel captive, burn their temple, destroy their walls, and now they're living in a foreign land. Well, in 539 BC, Cyrus, King Cyrus is the king of Persia and basically he's dominating the world and he overthrows the Babylonians and now Israel finds themselves living under the rule of Persia. And so 536 BC, King Cyrus tells uh, Ezra, you know, you and your people, you guys can go build your temple, go build your walls, go rebuild your community. And so for the next 80 years, Ezra is bringing people, they're trying to rebuild, they're trying to get turn the hearts of the people back to the Lord. And so here in Nehemiah, we are 15 years after the book of Ezra. And Nehemiah is wanting to hear, like you, like you just heard, what is the condition of the walls? I wanted to give you a, a, a picture of what it possibly would have looked like in Nehemiah's time. So if you notice, there's some gates, those towers, those are gates. And uh, people would go in and out. There's the temple in the corner there. It's funny, the gates had a function. One of the functions was the dung gate. How many people would want to work at the dung gate? I would not. But there are different gates and they, they have different functions. And so all of that has been broken down and Nehemiah is wanting to restore it. Now, when I look at Ezra and Nehemiah, I, they serve a purpose to me. Ezra was calling people back to God, and it was very spiritual. Follow the rules. Obey the laws. Turn your hearts back toward the Lord. Nehemiah was really practical. Let's rebuild the walls. Let's rebuild the temple. And what I found in Christian life, you need both spiritual and practical. How many know that the spiritual sometimes leads to the practical? Right? And sometimes the practical, if done right, will lead to the spiritual. And you can't have either or, you need both. And you need know, to know when to do both. And so I love this picture of Ezra in Nehemiah. So uh, Nehemiah is this great picture of us, the power of when we're working together. Andy Stanley talks about vision. Vision is the ability to see. It's funny, I went to uh, get my license renewed and everybody on staff knows that I can't see well sometimes. I'm having to hold things further out. My, my arms are short, so I'm, I'm either going to have to grow arms or actually get glasses. But I, I went in to get my test, and I had to guess and pray a little bit as to what some of those numbers were. But I passed. That should make you very nervous. <laughs> but I passed, and uh, I assure you I will get glasses soon. But Andy Stanley talks about vision. And he says, vision is the tension between what is and what could be. What is and what could be. Now, I'm a futuristic kind of person. 
Uh, I very rarely look to the past. Um, I just like thinking about what God wants to do in the future and all the things that we need to do in order to get there. But if I'm not careful, I begin to look at everything that's wrong. Anybody else like that? You have an eye for everything that needs to be changed. And you see all the issues that are coming up. And what happens is if we're not careful is that we get, we stop at what, what looks bad instead of thinking through what could be and what should be. And Nehemiah could have just said, well, it's over. Nothing's going to happen. But he actually began to pray. He began to plan and he began to act. And this is what I wrote about uh, vision. Vision won't let you settle. Vision won't let you quit. It doesn't care how you feel or if things seem too costly, dangerous, or impossible. Vision simply demands you do something about it. Vision is the thing that won't let you fall asleep at night and it'll wake you up too early in the morning. It will provoke you, it'll haunt you, and it will consistently knock on the door of your life until you do something. Even when all has been stripped away, true vision remains because it was never about the benefits, promotion, money, and the glory anyway. A God-given vision grips your heart and your soul. You may deny it, try to hide and even run from it, but it is always there. Because a God-given vision always comes down to the people it is supposed to help and the transformation God wants to bring. So this question remains, what are you going to do about it? And in a culture of opinions, vision is needed. Because vision is a commitment to seeing God's will done to bring change. So as we are looking at Nehemiah, we're seeing a man of vision. A man who wants to bring change. So point number one. God gives vision that grips the heart. If you really want to see change happen, your vision has to become a burden. Not an idea, not a concept, not something somebody should do. It has to be something that moves you deeply. Nehemiah wept. You would look at Nehemiah 1.4. It says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. You know, we, we looked at that picture and it said that the gates had been burned with fire where our world is on fire. And God still calls people to the gates to bring change. And I just can't, y'all, you're going to be so sick of me talking about this. I just believe the church has the answer to some of these problems. I'm tired of complaining about the world. I want to engage the world. I'm tired of talking about the problems. I want to engage the problems. I'm going to pat myself on the shoulder. <laughs> so Nehemiah is still engaged. He can't do anything about it. But God has placed a burden now on his heart. Have you ever felt powerless about something? You ever felt like something was outside of your control? You ever felt like one of, one of the family members is being a moron? <laughs> uh-uh, don't look over here at me. Maybe there's brokenness in your life and you feel it's too far gone. But what should we do? Nehemiah is compelled to pray. 
He's compelled to engage God in prayer. Prayer is so intimate, y'all. For me, it's like breathing. I inhale from the Lord and then I exhale what's in my heart to the Lord. And it's like that all day. And I love what Smith Wigglesworth, he was a, a plumber by trade, but he was a man who believed in healing. Strange name. But he, he would literally, so if you, if you walked up to him and you had something sick in your body, he'd punch you. That's not a joke. <laughs> that is really what he would do. Because he believed that was the enemy. And for some reason, God honored that. And people would be healed. They'd get punched in the stomach and whatever was in their stomach that was wrong, they'd be healed. <laughs> Incredible books about Smith Wigglesworth. But here's what he said. He said, I never went more, I, I never prayed for more than 20 minutes at a time. But I never went more than 20 minutes without praying. And it's that breathing in and breathing out. If you actually want to see your world changed, it does not happen without prayer. It does not happen without connecting to the God of this universe, without having a burden to not just, not, not just talk about it, but begin to pray about it. For Nehemiah, broken walls meant broken people. The, how many people have a door on your house? Okay. How many people have a lock on the door? Why? Because you don't want anybody breaking into your house, right? You want safety. Well, in the same way, the walls represented safety. They needed a place knowing that an army wasn't going to come in. Uh, marauders, that's a strange word, wouldn't come in and try to rob from them or steal from them or harass them. It's hard to worship well when you're always wondering what's going to happen, right? And Nehemiah is wanting to bring safety to his people. But broken walls also meant broken worship. The temple's broken. There's no place to worship. And I listen, I know life is getting busy. And I long for people to come to church. Right? Because I feel like we hold each other accountable. It's easy to get into the pattern of not worshiping together. Right? How many have found yourself in the pattern of not obeying, not reading the word, not praying? It's easy to do. And so when you don't have this place to gather, the people are not worshiping well. And he's wanting to restore that as well. So there's brokenness in our church. There's broken people. There's brokenness in our community. And we can either just look at it and talk about it or we can actually do something about it and engage it in prayer. And this is what Nehemiah is doing. So the second thing is, the second point, you know, God, God had placed on Nehemiah this burden. But then Nehemiah, with this vision, he needs a plan. Nehemiah was the cupbearer, and that meant that he would drink and test the wine before he gave it to the king. Because people wanted to poison the king. So you've got to understand that he's trusted, right? And here's the thing. Nehemiah drinks it and there's poison. He dies. He, he dies. They just find somebody else. But it was this important position. So he finds himself in this position. He can't go visit where the walls are. And he's stirring for four months, it says, that he's praying and he's fasting. But he still doesn't have an opportunity to do anything about it. 
And I want to teach you a principle about waiting. How many people hate waiting? Oh my gosh, I hate waiting. I want to be about it. I want to move. But there's some interesting things that God does in while we wait. Psalm 27, 14. Let's read it together. It says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. How many know it takes courage sometimes to wait? Right? But here's the thing about waiting, because we have to understand the heart disposition for waiting. This is actually what that means. Eager expectation, hopefully wait, and patiently wait. So as we're waiting on the Lord, we're actually expecting him to answer. We're actually expecting him to come through. And this is what Nehemiah is doing. He used the time not just to be passive, but to prepare. When God gave Abraham a promise, because God speaks to us in pictures as how our brain works. He said, Abraham, you're going to be blessed. And all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through you. So I want, I want you to come outside and I want you to look at the stars. I want you to look at all of those stars. That's going to be like the people that are blessed through you. And then as you walk through the sand, and as the sand is getting in between your toes, right? I want you to remember, like the sand, this is how the world is going to be blessed through you. God gave him a picture. And so while Nehemiah is waiting, God is giving him a picture of what's wrong with the walls. And he's also giving him a picture of what he needs to do. So when the king... Ask him a question. Nehemiah is sad. Not supposed to be sad in the king's presence. Because you could die. And he says, what's wrong? And he was shocked and he was afraid. And then he said, well, the walls are broken. And my people are hurting. And I want to do something about it. And the king asked a powerful question. He says, what do you need? How many know Nehemiah had a plan? He said... I need instructions that allows me to to go through somebody's land. And then I need timber from this area to rebuild the gates. How many know that Nehemiah had to wait on his opportunity? He had to prove faithful in his position. Some of us, we're not ready. We haven't prepared for our opportunity. Some of us haven't been diligent or faithful in the place where we are. So we don't even get the opportunity to step into the next season. Some of us don't have a plan for the next season. I'm not a high planner. I am now, but I wasn't for most of my life. But there are some times that God can't do what you want him to do because you actually haven't engaged him in prayer and you haven't prepared well. Spiritual and practical, right? My favorite. We have to look for God opportunities and be ready. Nehemiah 2.8, I love this verse. It says, may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And look at this second thing. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. You know, favor is so powerful. Some of us work so hard with our skill We're trying to force something, but it's actually God's favor that opens doors for us. If you look back to Ezra, Ezra said the same thing. They they didn't meet. But he said, the hand of my God was upon me to do what he asked me to do. 
So Nehemiah goes and he's looking at the wall. He's looking at the broken areas of the wall. He's beginning to, to, he didn't tell a bunch of people. He didn't put it on social media. You know, because I see social media posts, y'all. It, it just bugs me. When people put out, hey, y'all, I've got this incredibly difficult thing. I, I just want as many people out there to pray for me because I'm going through a struggle. How many know that when they say they're coveting your prayers, they're really coveting your attention? But when, you're at, when God asks you to do something, you go to the people you trust and know will pray for you. You go to the people and you go, hey, I need you to engage in prayer right now because I'm serious about what God is asking me to do. And that's what Nehemiah is doing. Evaluate before you initiate. Don't overthink it, but please, dear God, please think about it before you do it. Nehemiah 2, 17 and 18 says this. He's got people around him and he goes to him. He says, this is this I said to them. You see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. Verse 18. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. I love when people come together to solve a problem. Let's rise and rebuild. So you need to pray. About the burden. You need a plan. And then lastly, you need a team. Now it's becoming action. Now here's something. So in chapter 3, we see people going to work. They're placing people in the gates. They're beginning to to build. And if you go into chapter 4, you find it really takes about two months. 80 years of work and now about two months it's complete. The gates. So... I wanted to to share with you, though, what I see in some of these verses in chapter 3. Verse 5. I think this is really interesting. Next to them, the Tekoites made repairs, but their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work for the Lord. And here's what I need us to understand. Anytime there's transition, for whatever reason, there's some people that's not going to do it. They're not going to serve. They're not going to help. They don't want to go. And that's okay. It's, it's not, I, I actually fight for connection. We don't always have to agree on everything, but I just fight for the connection for relationship. But here's what everybody needs to know. I'm going to work with the people that God gives us and with the people that make the turn. It's that simple. And I, I'm, I don't hold any grudges. Life's too short to hold grudges, and it's way too expensive to hold grudges. So we move forward with people who want to move forward. Verse 8, I like this too. It says, uh, Uziel, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs, and next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers. Every time I see this, anybody ever been to the mall and they had those little spray things? This is what I'm thinking of. But two guys working outside of their skill set are helping to rebuild something. Some of you guys are incredibly, you know the Lord so incredibly well, but you go, yeah, but I, I'm a teacher. Or I'm of this. And you don't spot, haven't found your place in the body of Christ. I'm just telling you, you can do something outside of your skill set. Verse 12. I love this too. There's a ruler, uh, Shalom, and then he puts his daughters to work. Come on, ladies. Working on the wall. I love that. Verse 20, 28, I think. Or 22. The, report, the repairs next to him were made by the priests from the surrounding region. How many know when you're doing a big work, people gather? 
Verse 28, it says the ministers actually started to work. Pastors actually started to do something. Come on, man. About time. Verses 30 and 31. And this was another one. In, in other texts, it says uh, next to him, Hananiah, and then uh, Hanan repaired another section. After him, this guy made repairs in front of his dwelling. Right. And it was person after person and family after family working on all these places that were broken. It's such an incredible picture. In 32 verses, 41 times it makes mention of made repairs, repaired or built. Could you show that picture from my Bible? If you look at all the little places that are squared off. That is every time somebody has stepped into the problem to make a difference or to serve in some capacity. It's powerful. Years ago, I think it's probably six years ago, maybe longer, Pastor Raphael had a dream. And we kept wondering what this dream was. And basically, just to make it really short, uh, he was in a car. A car or a vehicle oftentimes means ministry. And he was in this car and it was going to a different level. But as he was driving in the car with people, it began to narrow and it began, the car began to go over like greenery and shrubbery and flowers and it was beginning to make a mess. And this guy came out, he began to slow down and this guy named Bill came out to challenge him on his driving and what he was doing, how it was messing everything up. Because how many know the cost is always going to scream at you? Bill. And he said, you're messing everything up. And in his New York, he's like, hey, what are you doing? Shut up. You know, we're going to keep driving. And so get back in the car. And here was the issue. Could the car, could the ministry, could the church make the turn? And I honestly believe as a church, we're at a place that God is asking us to begin making a turn. Not just internally. We want to do ministry well internally, but externally as well. So I just wanted to give you... An overview of some of the things we've been doing for the last three or four months. Maybe some challenges that we have. um, Some things that we really need help to create. So, uh, again, I I am... uh, I do see problems, but I'm also solutions-oriented. So, you know, we, we lack a little continuity between our ministries. Everybody's doing good stuff, but we just want to get everybody on the same page. Um... We need to empower other non-paid staff people better. There's too many people sitting in our midst that have incredible gifts or talents or abilities. We need to utilize them better. Um, we haven't taught people to disciple well, life on life. How many of you would say you're a great discipler? You, you don't have to be super uh, humble. Raise your hand. Okay? Just a couple. I just want to look. Just a couple of people in this big room. What's the problem, y'all? Because God calls us to disciple. So we kind of need to figure out how we're going to disciple better. We lack some new expressions for ministry. You know, there's some people in here, and I've heard this a number of times. They go, I want to serve the Lord, but I don't always see my place in, in church. We have to figure out what that means. We have to figure out how to utilize what you have and connect you to a problem that God wants to solve. Uh, we lack community space to do life together. This church is, it, we've grown to the point now where we don't have time just to hang out. Everything we do is ministry. 
Well, that's not healthy, quite frankly. I, I love ministry. I've given my life to ministry. But a lot of life happens just in the downtime and hanging out and eating together. And we need a, maybe a space that we could gather together to do life together. Um, this has been um, a huge time of spending a lot of energy. We do a lot of planning. We're looking at every job description. We're looking at how to maybe utilize people better on our team, repositioning them. We're looking at how our ministries run. We're looking at our Sundays and our Wednesdays, everything. And we're in constant meetings. Dear Lord, pray for us because I hate meetings. But we're in meetings because we need to bring change. But in order to bring change, you need good structure and you need good planning. Wow. Nobody said amen. (laughs) They're all like us. They don't like meetings either. So here are a couple of areas that we really want to focus on. Multiplication is leadership development. You guys don't hear me, please, when I say leadership development. You can be a Christian, and it's the usage of what you have done well that is leadership. It's not just principles. It's the understanding that you've been positioned somewhere, and you need to be the best Christian and the best leader that you can be. That can be in your home, or it can be in your job. Um, So... Here's one of the issues that I've had ever since we were creating the leadership development. I'm going to come over to this side. I always spend time over here. Maybe y'all just need to hear it more, but I'm going to come over here. So with our leadership development, here's the issue. Is that a lot of times we're set up only to do ministry in-house. So we have ministries for, you know, we have ushers and we have greeters and we have youth and we have worship. But we don't have anything to marketplace. We don't have anybody... That, that actually helps people grow in uh, at work. Well, that's a problem. Because that's one of the biggest mission fields that we have. So how do, how do you become a solid Christian and a leader in business? Right? So we've got all of you people. How many people work outside of the church? Raise your hand. Shouldn't we be better at work? Shouldn't we be better business leaders and better leaders? And we have to figure out how to begin creating a leadership development track that empowers you to grow in your leadership, but also mentor others who are going in the route that you're going. I really honestly believe... The leadership development track builds bridges into the community and builds bridges back to Jesus. Because when people see something different about you, they want to know why you're different. Okay. So it's spiritual and practical. I want to tell you about a tension that we have uh, in church is I need high capacity leaders on our team. If you're going to work for me, I need you to be able to do multiple things very well. So as much as I love you in your role, you need to do multiple roles and you need to do them well. But here's the thing. I need you to do it for church pay. (laughs) So it's really hard to get somebody to leave, you know, marketplace and take a $30,000 pay cut. That's reality, right? That's real. So most people who come on staff, they're called to ministry. Maybe not even as a pastor, but they know they're called to ministry and they're willing to take the cut or they're willing to take the financial hit because this is what God has called them to do. 
So there's always that tension. I see tons of people that I think would be great, but you're not going to make near what you make in the marketplace. So, um, so we've got the, the leadership development, the multiplication part, but we also need the discipleship. And you're, you guys are going to be sick of me talking about this, but we need people who can mentor. We need people who can be um, a spiritual example of Jesus to somebody who may not even know fully who he is. To young people who don't know how to live this life out. We need people who can engage and pour into. So I need more cross-generational uh, mentorship. How many people consider yourself old? Raise your hand. Okay. How many people consider yourself young? Raise your hand. Introduce yourself and let's get going. Because it's got to happen. It's got to happen. It's, it's going to happen. This is going to happen. So we have to rethink some things and create opportunities where people get to meet, build relationship, and my older get to invest in the younger. Okay. Um, all right. So let's go ahead and solve this problem. If you ever feel like you need to clap, but you're not sure, go ahead and clap. All right. All right. We solved that. We need some small groups that actually are, are, maybe are, um, have a particular focus. We are talking next steps, a four-week class. We're really going to invest in people who are going to, to be a member. And I'm really excited about this. Um, but we actually need some small groups that would be very focused. So if you see a need or an area and, and you would like to maybe lead in that area, talk to Tana. But we, we know there's some things that we need to target. I need a business community because I want vocational discipleship. Christian leaders leading in the marketplace and teaching people who are going in that direction how to do this as a Christian. Okay. We're going to reestablish our young adults and be much more intentional and consistent. We haven't had a men's ministry in 26 years. That's, going, that's restarting. So we need discipleship there. I need our men to clap. Thank you. Here's one of the biggest issues probably that I'm seeing right now. We're experiencing as a team too is marriages. We have not had an intentional focus in the 12 years I've been here. That has to change. Marriages are under assault. You know how difficult it is to be married. And we need to make better investment, not just in our, our pre-marriage, but in marriages. And so we, we need to rethink this and put much more emphasis on that as well. We're coming to a close now. Of all the places on the earth, the church should be the place to discover purpose. You're going you're gonna to be amazed at what God does with this thought. Because I'm, I'm tired of outsourcing to the world what God originated. We have the Holy Spirit. We have gifted people. We're going to help people discover why they were designed and what they're supposed to do with it. So we're going to pray, right? Nehemiah had to pray with this burden. I need you to be aware, not just in the church, but outside the church as well. You may not want to serve necessarily in the church, but maybe there's stuff outside the church that you can't get away from. God is giving you a burden for 
But there's definitely so many broken people in our churches that you, you might be able to mentor, you might be able to serve, you might be able to help. But I want you to be looking and praying and asking the Lord, God, what is it that you want? Give me a burden for it. Number two, we need to start thinking strategically. If you noticed, I, have, I haven't talked a lot about Holy Spirit power, Holy Spirit move. I, I've been impacted greatly by the Holy Spirit. But I want us to set up foundations that allow us to build. I want to be able to sustain so that we can steward. We need to be strategic in our planning, our development, our empowerment, so that we're able to run when the time is right. And lastly, number three, I want you to be about it. I'm tired of the church talking about stuff we don't do. It's time to start doing it. And so as we pray, as we have a plan, we need to, we need to be about it. We need to serve. And we need to position people to use what they have. We need to put them in the gates in the city as well as in our church and go help us to rebuild what's broken. I love that verse. The good hand of God was with Nehemiah as he was faithful to do what he needed to be done. And you know what, church? The good hand of our God is with us as well. And we will accomplish what God is asking us to do. So as we pray... I want you to ask God this question. God, what is it that you have a burden for? Do you have eyes to see what God needs? Has he already brought things to your attention that bother you? But all you've done is complain about it. Or maybe you made this statement. Somebody needs to do something about that. How many of that's a clue? An invitation. Number two. When the opportunity arises, do you have a plan for it? What would you do? What would you use? How would you go about it? Ask the Holy Spirit. What would you do? And lastly, three, when the time is right, do something. Father, I pray for the men and women in this church. God, you, you've been so gracious to us for so many years. There's so many great things about this church. There have been so many faithful people who've helped build uh, the, the culture that we have in this church on so many different levels, God. And now you're asking us to look at some areas that are broken, but also to build out some things that you want to help solve. Every person in this place has value. Every person has something to offer. God, teach us, lead us, compel us to pray, God. Compel us to think strategically. Give us plans, God. And then God, teach us to take action. Would you stand at your feet? I love this church. I'm so grateful for our team. I'm so grateful for so many people who are so faithful to this body. If you don't know Christ, I would love to introduce you to him. Died for you bled for you, paid for your sin, loves you in an incredible way. And I'd love to be able to pray and lead you uh, to know him. And then if you need prayer in just a moment, feel free to come to the altar. If God is challenging you, come solidified at the altar. If God is stirring you, come solidified at the altar. Lord, I pray blessing over them.
Speak to them, we pray. Guide them, we pray. And God, do incredible things in their marriages, in their families, in their lives, at their job. We bless them. May your hand be with them in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you guys.